Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tempt. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg. I'm proud to say he just came from off tour. Dr. Justin Quinn is in the house. The Celtics Lab podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. Gentlemen, this is the big free agency preview pod extravaganza slash we finally get to talk about the Marcus Smart trade because even though that feels like lifetime ago, it was only like six days ago. Not even. It was like a week and a half, uh, half a week ago. So uh, we are going to start with the news because that's what we do here at the Celtics Lab podcast. And then in what we call the lab portion of the programming, we'll talk about Porzingis. We'll talk about Brogdon. We'll talk about Grant. And we'll talk about all of the financial uh, boundaries to what may or may not happen to the Celtics this summer. Alex, how is being on tour going? How's being a rock god? Being on tour is very fun, fellas. Uh, it is, you know, one city to the next. Uh, I've had a blast. We just wrapped up our Canada and Midwest swing. Um, it's extremely fun. We had some great shows and some great crowds. Um, I'm very tired, but uh, taking a nice kind of short break before we're back on the road this weekend in Washington, D.C., and then after that, we've got our big homecoming in Boston at the Sinclair on July 8th. So I'm feeling great. Um, if you like the music that you heard at the top of the podcast, there's plenty more where that came from. Follow Divine Sweater on Instagram uh, and Facebook and Twitter and Spotify and SoundCloud and all the other places. And TikTok. I feel like you guys have a bit yeah. of an active TikTok. We do have an active TikTok. Yeah, if you're a TikToker, give us a shout. Now that Alex turned 30, he doesn't even think about TikTok. <laughs> Dr. Quinn, how are you? Not too shabby. I am uh, not going on tour, but I will be seeing the cure here in Mexico. So, uh, you know, old man is excited about old band. And uh, I'm going to be going to Oaxaca for some rest and relaxation to try to wrap my brain around what this Celtics team is now. (laughs) It makes it sound like that's the purpose (laughs) of the trip. (laughs) Kind of is. And a lot of a lot of it's really for my my in-laws 50th anniversary. Uh, But for me, it's going to be some reflection time. Great. Yeah. Um, my last day of school as a teacher was Thursday. And then the night before that, Marcus Mark got traded. And the night after that was a draft that was quite busy. So um, I haven't really started to enjoy my school break. But as fate would has it, have it, my better half's birthday is July 1st. So I will not be a major voice during free agency. I will, in fact, be in French Canada. Okay. Enough about us. People are here for the Celtics, not for <laughs> our life updates, I don't think. We'll talk about the news, and then again, we'll talk about what free agency may or may not look like uh, in just a little bit. Uh, it says in our notes, we talked about Jordan Walsh. Cameron, tell us about it, so I'll just keep talking. Um, Jordan Walsh, actually, I will say this. Boston has made a habit, of a, habit a tradition, uh, or perhaps a mandate, of introducing rookies at charity events. So since 2008, every Celtics rookie, or at least the ones that you know, are coming to play, have gone to some sort of a charity event. And so this time around, Jordan Walsh's first appearance as Boston Celtic was at the unveiling of a renovated gym at the Cambridge Community Center. And he's the number 38 pick. Number 30, 38 picks can do great things. Who knows how much he factors into the Celtics' future. I will say I was very impressed by this young man. He's very charismatic. He's very sincere. He really, I mean, he's he's awkward. He's 19. He's Justin and I have listened to the raw cuts of his press conferences. They're choppy and they're, they sound like a 19 year old is talking, but he talks about family. He talks about tradition. He talks about earning his place um, in a way that 
doesn't sound like a platitude. It sounds like he really believes these things. So I'm really impressed with this kid. I've talked to him for all of 30 seconds. Personally, I don't know him or anything, but you know, as a high school teacher who hangs out with kids his age, um, I suspect he's a really high character individual. So I love that the Celtics do that. I I'm always happy that we get to podcast about a premier organization up and down the charts. Um, but I like this kid. He, his arms are really long. Uh, you can see just standing with him, but more to the point, he seems like a smart young man. Um, do either of you have thoughts on Jordan Walsh? Uh, can I, can I tell a quick story? Yeah, do it. Please. So uh, at the draft, the Celtics took the 25 pick that they got from the Marcus smart trade, turned it into 31, turned it into 34 and 38, turned that into 38 and 39 and then turned 39 into something else. Um, and so we're we're at the practice facility late at night and Brad Stevens eventually has a press conference and he talks about Porzingis and Smart and it's a really uh, great press conference. Our friends at CLNS have the video. But then after he goes, and now Mike will tell you, Mike Zarin will tell you about whatever the hell just happened. And Mike Zarin is standing there with a little clipboard and a big smile on his face to talk about all of these <laughs> very specific transactions he pulled off. So uh, it was a world-class draft from Mike Zarin and by extension, Brad Stevens. Okay. Anyways, we we can talk about that more later. Well, either of you have draft thoughts? Not specific to the draft. I do think it was uh, pretty good work by Zarin to generate that draft capital that can really be useful in in making moves in this new CBA environment. We've already talked about why these second round draft picks are going to be more valuable than they used to be in previous episodes. I think the last episode, particularly, uh, no, the episode before the last episode. So check that out if you are unfamiliar. But one of the things about this guy that I like a lot, uh, if you could picture like a wing version of Rob Williams, super yeah. high motor, fouls on almost every other play, he's going to be impactful, but he's not going to be on the floor very long because of that. So don't get your hopes up. He's probably going to be a two-way guy, but I think we will see him this season, just not that much. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about second round picks is it's truly just a dice roll. And, you know, I think it's understandable why Brad Stevens and Mike Zarin would want to accumulate more and more of them, especially given that, you know, the reigning finals MVP was picked at 41. Um, Sometimes those dice rolls pay off in really, really big, potentially franchise altering ways. Um, That being said, JQ, I agree. Like Jordan Walsh seems like a nice guy. He seems like he has some upside as a wing defender. Um, I think... You know, I, I I have my doubts that he's ever going to be a, a meaningful offensive player in the NBA. And as such, I think there's a, an inherent limit to the kind of player that he can become. But, you know, maybe he becomes like a somewhat versatile matchup dependent ninth man that, you know, you can throw in for eating eight minutes here or there. And really what it does come down to is, you know, just getting more swings uh, at the tree, getting getting more cracks to kind of find that diamond in the rough player that slips to the second round which i think just about every nba team is kind of craving based off of the denver nuggets uh incredible success with that model all right you heard it here first if jordan walsh doesn't foul too much he will be the next Nikola Jokic. okay some other news things the summer league is coming up some of us may or may not be there who knows uh boston's team is starting to Take shape, Justin. Can you give us the 10 second lowdown on the summer league team other than Jordan Walsh and JD Davison and kind of expected names? 
Yeah, you're never going to see most of these people again, but the ones to keep an eye on, in my opinion, uh, he played with the main Celtics uh, last season. Reggie, I'm going to murder your name. I am so sorry in advance. Kasunlo, I'm guessing. And then also, I think there's a much better chance for this guy to land a two-way spot, and that would be Vincent Valerio Badon. He's he's technically Hungarian, but I think he's only like Hungarian for playing for the team purposes. He was born in the Dominican Republic. Six foot ten, can move the ball, can shoot it. Super athletic, super super fast. Really good, quick first step. Uh, I'm not real sure why he didn't get more more looks. I think he worked out with the Celtics uh, in the pre-draft process before uh, going undrafted. But he's the guy I would keep an eye on throughout this entire thing if anyone is going to actually be a Boston Celtic next uh, next season. Sure, great. Is Reggie the one that um our guy Cody broke? I believe so. Yeah. Shout out to Cody Taylor of USA Today SMG fame. Okay, uh, Aaron Miles, we hardly knew you. He's off to be an assistant with the Pelicans as the Joe Mazzulla staff kind of continues to rearrange. Although calling it the Joe Mazzulla staff was probably inaccurate last season from what we've learned. Otherwise, two quick things in the way of news. One is uh, basically a Mad Lib. Jalen Brown is in Saudi Arabia visiting a Texas-style barbecue restaurant owned by Napoleon, who used to rap with Tupac. Um, that is indeed maybe, a Mad Lib. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe Jalen has uh, other business in Saudi Arabia and he, he likes to travel the world. But boy, was that a fun headline to write for Celtics Wire. And then also in the plays of news, as of the time of this recording, we think, or we've been told rather, Marcus Smart still intends to hold his 14-league Pro-Am tournament in the South End uh, the beginning of July. The the specific location might change, but the point remains Marcus Smart wants to have this in Boston. He wants to have a farewell basketball camp. Um, I know that there are some really interesting people who are going to show up, but I'm not going to promise anything, so I won't say any names. But if you're interested, you should be on the lookout. Again, they might have to change the gym, but it sounds as if that's all systems go. All right, we're going to pause the action and talk about our friends over at FanDuel. And they want you to know that you can take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to over under to who you think is going to score the first home run all on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. And plus, when you win, you get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Justin, I love watching this kid Shohei Otani. <laughs> There's nothing fun going on with the Red Sox, but between the Cincinnati Reds and Otani, and who knows, maybe he'll be wearing a different jersey next time we record <laughs> ad copy. But um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on with this MLB season. I know that you're not a huge baseball fan. First of all, is baseball a big thing in Mexico City? No, not in Mexico City, but if you go to Yucatan, uh, they have a huge ba uh, baseball culture there, which is kind of weird for me. So when I go visit friends and family out there, I don't really have much to talk to them about. And it's the Boston Red Sox fault because I grew up in the early 80s and the uh, Boston Red Sox were not very good then. If I were to, you know, just randomly be interested in placing some bets in baseball with no clue as I have about the sport, what would you tell me might be some some things you'd be interested in watching? Um, well, I, I don't know how long things are going to last for the Reds. Um, if you're from the Midwest, it looks like the Cubs have turned it around. I think the Marlins are a really fun team. 
and AL East is wildly competitive. But even if you don't know anything, FanDuel makes it easy to understand the lines, makes it easy to understand how to put money down. And again, it makes it easy to cash out with a little bit of money in your pocket. So sign up today nice. and visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. you get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit is required. Refunds are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, back to the podcast, which is a good enough segue for us to hop into the lab portion of the programming and talk about everything from the Marcus Smart trade to Malcolm Brogdon to second round picks and how impactful they may or may not be. So let's do exactly that. To put on our lab gear, but we we had a guest. Uh, we're on YouTube. If people don't know this, we had a guest when I said, "Okay, let's hop into the Celtics lab," and they did a really nice job of putting on their safety goggles. And <laughs> well, that was very funny. I can't remember who it was. Okay, the dust hasn't emotionally settled on the trade that went down, so we do want to look ahead. But we three haven't talked. I mean, we've DM'd a little bit, but we haven't talked about the Marcus Smart trade. So, Alex. With the frame that, you know, we got to move on with our lives. Talk us through your kind of emotional and logical journey and understanding the Mark Smart trade. So um, I listened to Brad Stevens' podcast, uh, Brad Stevens' appearance on the Celtics kind of official media podcast. Um, and I think here's kind of where I've come down uh, with the caveat that like Marcus Smart is my favorite player of these past 10 or so years. And I am probably never going to emotionally fully recover from this trade. Um, I understand why the Celtics made this trade. Um, it is about primarily two things. It is about one, giving Jason Tatum a dynamic big that can score at three levels and that he can play off of. Uh, this trade really is all about Jason Tatum and empowering him to kind of completely take control of the Celtics offense and really use it uh, to dictate to his strengths. And there's a number of ways in which Porzingis does that. Um, he is a three-level scorer. He's uh, seven foot two. He's a good rebounder. Um, and I think the other reason that Brad Stevens made this trade is because he is tired of the Celtics not being a particularly good rim protection team, despite having, you know, Rob Williams and Al Horford, who are themselves two good rim protectors. Um, I think there's there's uh, a frustration, particularly against the Miami series, uh, of the Celtics not being able to really hold their own on that front. So again, if you're looking at those two things, rim protection and giving Tatum a dynamic floor spacing big, in theory, Kristaps Porzingis should fit both of those needs uh, and should be a really great trade acquisition for the Celtics and a lot of why uh, Brad Stevens did this, I think it that all makes sense. This feels like a 2K trade. It does not mm -hmm. feel to me like a necessarily inherently good basketball trade. It feels like a trade that would be good for fleshing out a roster that could win 50-something games, and I, I feel like that is definitely on the table for the Celtics again this year. I have real concerns about trading 
the Celtics' most battle-tested playoff guy in Marcus Smart, a guy who came to this team and within one year of his arrival, took them from the basement back into the playoffs, a guy who has played upwards of 70 playoff games in his career. Kristaps Porzingis has played 10 for yeah. context. Um, I understand that there are some concerns about Marcus's long-term viability. I get that. Um, you know, he was certainly banged up last year, and I think it's fair to say that his defensive presence, particularly on the perimeter, slipped a little bit. I think that's a real concern. That being said, he is also, as of last year, the Celtics' best passer, and it's not close. Uh, he was the Celtics' best perimeter defender in the playoffs, and I think that that makes a meaningful difference. I am not expecting that Brad Stevens is done making moves, so it's hard for me to grade this trade without knowing what the rest of the roster looks like. I expect that there will be uh, attempts to flesh out their guard rotation, that there will be attempts to bring in more passing and uh, to try and replace some of the things that Marcus Smart brought to the table. I, I, I will be, and I'll be perfectly candid in saying that I think like the statistical argument for a lot of this is in favor of making this trade. This trade does not feel right to me. Uh, I feel like I have real concerns about what this team is going to look like in the postseason when things get really mushy and start to slow down. Who is going to step up and be the guy who can organize the offense, who can make those perimeter defensive stops that are so vital to maintaining a championship level team? Um, and I, I think the reality is that this trade will be determined not by the quality of Chris Stops Porzingis play. It will be determined by Jason Tatum's. Uh, whether this is a good trade or not will fundamentally come down to what is Jason Tatum able to do next year and going forward in terms of his development with this roster, because it's on him now. That, I think, is a yeah. really important point that you made. In a lot of ways, your points about this roster not being done, like, to me, I agree with you. I also have fairly significant concerns about the viability of the front court as a whole when you have basically like a, a, a stool where all three of the legs that are primarily supporting the weight of it have issues, right? So I understand the value and all that and the, what he brings, et cetera, but availability is really, really important. And for me, I would have been a lot more like, I know it wouldn't be possible to bring Pirtle, for example, back, but a, a player like him who does not have a super extensive injury history that is fairly consistent in their availability and would be the, the firm, younger leg of that stool, right? So even if they do find the fairly thin uh, needle to thread with the other parts that are going to be necessary to make this really a truly viable contender, I still have those concerns about the injury situation. And your point about it being Jason Tatum, and to a very significant extent, Jalen Brown, maybe even more so to Jalen Brown, uh, this, in a way, sets up a very easy, well, we have to trade Jalen now because it did not work scenario, yeah. which may not be true, right? But that's where we'll be. So let me summarize maybe what uh, the major points that you guys raised vis-a-vis -vis where we want to go next for the conversation. Um and actually, I do want to chime in with my own little stump speech, but I think, Alex, what you're identifying is Boston is without an established quarterback or a great passing. And so the, the, they will need to figure that out either this summer or on the fly next season. Dr. Quinn, what you're identifying is 
somehow they have strengthened their front court rotation and yet they still need another playable big um, because of injury concerns. So they need to think about, you know, what bigs are they carrying and why? So those are two major questions that now Boston uh, counterintuitively, we asked this question, I think last summer, and they still have these problems. They just look a little different. Um, and then how it fits around Boston's two all NBA forwards is, is the main question. And, and does it, help or hurt them um so i think those are the, the three questions that this now begs um i just want to because i also haven't really chimed in uh with this group a, a few of the things that i've considered first it's clear they really wanted Kristaps porzingis that was the the tail that wagged the dog because if they were they were going to do it for brogdon and if they switched for smart it wasn't this is a convenient way to get rid of marcus smart this was we want Kristaps porzingis no matter the cost Interestingly, Brad Stevens talked about, look, modern NBA offenses are really operating from the nail and from within, and this gives an inside-out game. There's nothing about Kristaps Porzingis' history that suggests he's a a great passer, let alone a centerpiece to an offense. But I will say, I spend a lot of our airtime talking about how Jalen and Jason are too young to be judged in full. And Kristaps Porzingis maybe has been playing professional or semi-professional basketball since he was 13, but... He's only 27, so it's possible that he could level up still. Um, the transgressions of the past on the court uh, may be a, a very different uh, suite of transgressions for more grown-up version of Chris Stapps. So uh, I do think there's opportunity to grow. The It hurts as a fan is one thing we can move on from. It is a, a, emphatically a culture shift. Uh, regardless of whether or not the fans support it or not, within the locker room and uh, just from a team perspective, Marcus Smart, it's it's not an exaggeration to say he's the heartbeat because the players keep saying it. So that in and of itself is major. Just the who are we? What are our touchstones as a team? And maybe they were sick of hearing Smart's voice to an extent. Maybe it was time to to move on. But whether or not it was time or it wasn't time or whatever the assessment is, it's still a huge inflection point. So I don't think that's something that we can establish in this conversation here is like, what is the new culture of the Celtics? Because it's not up to us. But I do think that that is going to hang over this team's head until many weeks into the regular season. Okay. So we got to figure out all of these problems that this now begs. Who's going to pass the ball? Who's their extra big man, et cetera, et cetera. But Dr. Quinn, as we have pointed out ad nauseum, so much of what the Celtics might want to do is established by what is legal and logistically possible so that's always the case but now with this new cba that mike zarin was quick to point out he still hasn't read um because it doesn't exist in full uh can you uh, justin just like summarize to us some of the major distinct challenges that boston might run up against financially or logistically so with all of the things i'm about to say bookshelved uh, or bookend or whatever, you, bracketed, bracketed is the word I'm looking for here, uh, bracketed with the idea that a lot of this, uh, probably not accidentally, is going to be cover for all of the owners in the NBA to spend less money, mm-hmm. which the players agreed to. I'm not entirely sure why, but here we are. The practical implications for the front office who have their own goals and interests uh, in pursuing a title like the rest of us, they, you know, they still have to do it in the financial realm that the owners collectively set. Uh, the short non-mathy version is they want to avoid being a second apron team this coming season, because if they don't, 
then their window as a title contender will get considerably shorter. They can probably kick it down the road one more season and maybe have a good chance to compete this season, or maybe not. Remains to be seen what kind of team they can pull together. And what they need to do is navigate the situation with Grant, who is a restricted free agent. Uh, whether or not they want to use their mid-level exception, they're going to be looking at the $5 million mini mid-level exception, which is, you know, good enough probably in this economy to get someone impactful, though not like game-changing. And then any other minimum uh, signings and non-guaranteed money on the roster like Luke Cornett or Justin Champagny. They could very well leave one of those spots open, maybe even two for some of the season, and then like move 10-day 10, 10 guys through just to save money, but also look at different talent. So they have a lot of difficult financial decisions to make, and they are very, very close to the second apron. Right now, they wouldn't even be able to use the MLE without going over the second apron, without cutting at least one of, say, Justin Champagny, uh, or not bringing in a vet guy, etc. So they're very, very close and I'm not going to put you to sleep with the actual machinations of how they could do it, but expect some moves around the margin specifically to address that. And let me chime in that going over the second apron really hamstrings your ability to make trades and stuff. So it's not about owners being cheap or spending their money. It's like suddenly you can't make certain trades. You don't have access to certain graphics. So uh, there's real reason to avoid the second apron. Boston's almost definitely a tax paying team. So that's not going to be a, a dialogue here, but uh, to your point, even if they do get rid of Cornette and Champagne, now they have questions about the middle of exception, whether or not they could possibly bring back Grant Williams. And is it worth trying to get off of Malcolm Brogdon's money? It's basically two of those three things could happen. They could keep Malcolm Brogdon. They could maybe keep Grant. They could maybe use the MLE. All three of those things are definitely not in play. And that sets up where we're going to go next. So again, if it costs a Cornette or Champagne, two players that I like to root for, so be it. But Boston's really figuring out, do we and can we keep Malcolm Brogdon? Do we and can we keep uh, Grant Williams? Do we and can we use the mid-level exception? So we have in our notes, we'll start with Grant. Um, I, I suspect we'll kind of have to work our way back because it's really a non-conversation unless they free up some money or he gets no offers. Because uh, I believe his tender qualify his qualifying option offers $8 million. Is that right, Justin? Ish. I think that's right, yeah. Could they even afford that? Uh, without, that's not happening. Without being there's, a... no, there's no, there's no, there, like, there's enough teams. There's there are teams with cap space who are interested in him. He's getting at least as much as a full MLE, uh, which is twelve million. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's probably looking at between twelve and if he had his way, eighteen to twenty million. Let's say twelve for the sake of argument. Boston can't uh, match that um, without being a second apron team or without you know freeing up serious salary goodbye Brogdon, goodbye Horford or something like that. Alex, is there any reason to specifically make proactive moves so that you could keep Grant Williams? Um, It's tough because I, I just feel like it's going to be difficult for him to find minutes in this rotation now that Porzingis and Horford and Rob are on the team. I think you would have to trade one of those guys um, to free up enough space for Grant to even play a meaningful role. He was already getting squeezed last year. And bringing in another big man, I just think makes that so much more difficult, especially because I think there are going to be times where Tatum is going to play the four for this team. Um, so to my mind, the only way that that makes sense is if Boston is planning another move that involves 
one of Al Horford or Robert Williams. And I don't think that's necessarily off the table, given how aggressive Brad Stevens has shown uh, he is willing to be in the past. Um, but outside of that, I would have a very uh, hard time finding something that makes sense as far as locking up Grant, uh, at, you know, outside of uh, in a deal where he's getting shipped somewhere else. Dr. Quinn, same question. Could you repeat the question? I, I was basically, is there enough of a, a want or a need to keep Grant Williams that you would go out of your way to free up no. that salary? And that would. Grant Williams is almost certainly gone at this point. Uh, in my opinion, if there is some big, big, big structural move to this team that Alex was talking about, then we could potentially see something that brings him back. But I, I, I strongly, strongly doubt that. Basically, unless they find something to do with those front court players plus Brogdon to bring in some other guy, uh, while also like shipping out one of the contracts just to make the room for him. Like, would you really rather have Al Horford uh, or Grant Williams at this point is the question. And as much as I love Grant Williams, uh, Al is just a, an infinitely more skilled and reliable player, even at his age. Doesn't he turn 38 this summer? 37? 37. I don't know. 37. Uh, I'm I'm willing to think about it, quite frankly. Uh, if we're being A, emotional enough to trade out Marcus Smart, uh, Grant Williams on a reasonably team-friendly or tradable deal might make sense and, and like kind of solves your broken stool problem. Uh, because if Al Horford can't play back-to-backs, again, they need a playable uh, third or fourth big man. I don't know. It's not gonna, I don't think it's going to happen, so it doesn't really matter. There is a world, and I'm saying this a little bit because I keep forgetting, if Boston does a sign-and-trade with Grant Williams, the other team gets hard-capped. So a sign-and-trade could be on the books. Grant doesn't make that much money, but if it was like Grant and Cornette and Pritchard, maybe they could look at sign-and-trading for a guy who makes meaningful money. But um, If a guy who does come back, he's going to be a minimum close to minimum guy just because of the financials of it, barring, again, moves we couldn't possibly predict. So don't get your hopes up with the Grant Williams signing trade. It's much more likely to be assets and not a player or minor assets and a cheap player. Right. So that, I guess, leads us to Malcolm Brogdon, who, according to Brad Stevens, by way of an interview with Chris Forsberg, is amid a four to eight week period where he's seeing if his arm will heal. And if it doesn't heal, they'll explore surgery. So it, I have tongue in cheek said, look, Brogdon was so injured. The Clippers wouldn't take him. Look how bad the situation is. The reality might be that the Clippers got cold feet and used that as an excuse, or they sincerely thought they were going to get their own physical done in time. And that just wasn't possible. But the fact remains, Malcolm Brogdon is nursing an injury. Surgery could be in the pipeline makes $22 million. And I think I, we think the parlor politics of bringing him back don't, doesn't matter. He's professional enough that he had his bags packed for LA and they're just like, okay, come on back. doesn't matter. So that aside, I'll go to you first, Justin, um, read the tea leaves. What happens with Malcolm Brogdon? Well, I think if you could find, I'm not saying this is going to happen uh, or even that he's the most ideal candidate, but somebody like a Tyus, uh, yeah, Jones. come on. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it might not be off the table. Uh, there might be a team that needs uh, a player of his caliber that doesn't necessarily want to pay the next paycheck, uh, like a Tyus Jones, uh, or something like that. 
But much more likely, I think what's going to end up happening is they're going to keep him and they're going to wait and see how things go. I think he's going to be. So let me backtrack a little bit. The Windhorst comments aside, everyone else has basically said some fairly routine things like, yes, Brogdon is injury, quote unquote, injury prone. But he's injury prone in his knees, right? The, the knees and the lower extremities are the concern with him. Uh, so like this kind of injury happens to Jalen Brown. It happens to all kinds yeah. of players. It's a slip and fall. You, 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 you know, you land on it wrong. Somebody smashes it the wrong way. Uh, Etc. And it's just going to happen to players. So this the teams are not worried about that. They still need to do the physical. Whatever happened with the Clippers aside, uh, the the concerns about his health are a little bit overblown. He might be a little bit rusty to start the season, but it's not like he can't run on a treadmill to keep his his cardio up. So that is not that big of a deal. But what I think is going to happen is they're going to ride it uh, all the way to the trade deadline. At which point. He's basically going to be an expiring contract. There's still he's still going to be owed, you know, like a third of his paycheck, roughly, maybe closer to a quarter for this season. But at that point, he is a huge walking trade exception. Which even if he couldn't play, which I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to play, he's still going to be tradable. And as we've established, and Brad Stevens was quick to say this, now they have four or five second round picks in the cupboard. Which last trade deadline, people were going for, you know, five second round picks. That's a new valuable currency under this new CBA. So actually Boston suddenly has the ammo to move off of a contractor to sweeten a deal. Whereas this time last week, they didn't have that. Um, Alex, what do you think happens with Brogdon? I find it pretty unlikely at this point that Malcolm Brogdon is going to be traded. Um, I think it would take a lot of sweeteners to make uh, teams want to take him on. I think that there's a lot of concern about his elbow injury and Brad Stevens seems to uh, be casting some cold water on that. He said uh, in his press conferences and at other times that it's not as that bad, that they expect him to be ready for the start of the season. But nonetheless, the Clippers saw something that they didn't like there. And I think other teams noticed that. So in order to trade Malcolm Brogdon for anything close to positive value, you probably have to attach other assets to him just to make that work. Um, and I kind of have a hard time feeling... Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing uh, a bunch of teams that are lining up to trade for him at this time. I also think Brogdon is, you know, despite I think what a lot of people were kind of hoping, despite the fact that he wasn't ultimately the one moved, I, I, I do think Malcolm Brogdon is a pretty good player when he's healthy. Um, he is not necessarily the player that uh, I think uh, would fill a lot of the Celtics' biggest needs right now, which are ball movement, passing, setting up the offense, uh, and perimeter defense. That's not Malcolm Brogdon's game per se. But I mean, he's a value-added guy. He's a really good scorer. Um, You know, he does know what to do with the ball in his hands. I think he's not a great defender, but he's certainly better than people necessarily give him credit for. Um, And I just think that, you know, at his salary, while he does make sense as a kind of movable piece the reality is that his trade value is not all that high right now, uh, given his injury. So while I don't think it's a lock that Malcolm Brogdon will be a part of the Celtics core going forward, and I could see like a world where he gets moved at the deadline, I'm not sure that uh, that team exists right now. Yeah, I I don't really know what I think about this. He deserved the six man of the year award. He's shot like 80% from three. I mean, he was really good. I disagree entirely. I think he's bad on defense. I think he's a huge liability on defense and that's not changing. Um, And it doesn't matter if the entire Celtics team 
plays like we're late in the game, uh, plays like dog shit on defense. It doesn't matter if Malcolm Brogdon is uh, a liability on defense, but if suddenly, you know, Boston finds their defensive footing and they have to keep running back Brogdon and Peyton Pritchard at the two spot, that that's hugely vulnerable for them. So I don't love that. Um, I also agree that he's a negative trade asset insofar as I just don't know what team he would go to that like they're one Malcolm Brogdon away. So I don't really know what's good with that, but I am trade Malcolm Brogdon curious insofar as they didn't give up anything meaningful to get him in the first place. I wouldn't feel like there's a lot of egg on their face if they, they moved on. Um, I know freeing up the salary is easier said than done and doesn't actually do that much under this new CBA regime. But like, for example, if they could salary dump Malcolm Brogdon to their friends uh, in Phoenix or something like that, I guess Utah and Indiana are probably off the table. They could bring back Grant Williams perhaps, and maybe use the MLE. And uh, there's a version of the Celtics team that doing that is more interesting to me. Although as we can talk about in a moment, uh, it's going to make, whatever happens to the the backcourt rotation really confusing because Boston's backcourt rotation is uh, almost non-existent at the moment. I love, 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 love Derek White. Um, But who knows, maybe he'll take a step back and then suddenly Boston like is really without meaningful guard play. So we'll see. Justin is reminding me Phoenix couldn't actually be a salary dump place for Brogdon, but uh, all the same, I, I wonder if they could find a place to take Brogdon's contract for basically no money coming back. Um, maybe the Spurs. I don't know. Okay, so I think we think Brogdon is staying, Grants is going, and then some other questions remain. First of all, the Peyton Pritchard of it all. I think Bullpet had it that no team really wants to give him twenty five minutes a night. So is this dude going to be happy in Boston? He might not be happy anywhere. Um, so we got we the Celtics diaspora have to figure out what goes on with Peyton Pritchard. Um, Boston probably needs a fourth leg to their stool. Uh, Justin, as you identified, and we'll eventually talk about a Porzingis extension in a moment. Dr. Quinn, what do you think are the kind of conversations happening right now in the Celtics front office ahead of free agency, which opens Friday at 6 p.m., I think? Honestly, I think that they're exploring every potential option to capitalize on what other teams are trying to do because the, the, the real core of this team has been set. There's only really... Hopefully they can find someone who can help with ball movement and help with perimeter defense in ways that they're, they're lacking now in the same person. And that is probably the archetype of what they're going for, but whether that is a point guard, a shooting guard, um, a small forward, maybe even a power forward. uh, Those are the kinds of like anything they can do, even if honestly, and this might not be very much fun to hear, but even if they, they kind of take a small step back. I'm not saying a big step back, like out of the contention picture, but if they become a shaky contender for this season to become a better contender for next season, whatever the form that could take, don't be super surprised. I mean, they almost traded for Jordan Poole. So yeah, that's another thing we need to talk about. Yeah. Well, what do you think is going on with that? I have no idea. I'm so glad that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is, let's put on our tinfoil hats for a little bit. The, the suggestion that like my read on this Porzingis thing is like, if it goes South South people will lose their jobs, but you raise an interesting point. It also creates a permission structure to say it's not working. We got to blow it up and trade Jalen Brown and Jordan Poole would be kind of an interesting uh, way of injecting a little bit of chaos into that. No one. Chaos is a strange way to spell 
bad shot, but I digress. I mean, he cooked. Uh, he shoots well in Boston. I'll tell you that much. Um, I don't think any of us think that Jalen Brown or the Celtics are blinking on this extension and that the extension is a matter of when, not if. I suppose we haven't heard any anything concrete reported in a while, but maybe it just doesn't need to be said. I do wonder if Boston couldn't possibly handle the PR hit of not signing him to this extension, but maybe are keeping back doors open for breaking up the core if they need to this time next year. He's either getting extended or uh, I, I, I let's put it this way. Um, if he's not getting extended, they have a deal in place. Uh, I would be, there's no advantage to them simply not signing him. Like it, even if you want to trade Jalen Brown, or even if you don't think of him as a valuable part of the future of the team, there's literally no advantage that can be created by simply not offering him the extension. That just won't work. It'll piss him off. You'll lose him for nothing. And you will have an objectively worse team. If you're going to get rid of Jalen Brown, then you have to trade him, uh, which means you have to trade him either right now or in a year. Um, you know, there's there's no way that they're not going to offer him the extension unless he's already part of a trade package. You don't want second round picks and filler for Jalen Brown, which is what you would get on a rental without that supermax. So yeah, very much agreed. Well, speaking of rentals, um, Porzingis, as soon as July 6th, is eligible to sign a two-year, uh, people are using the number $77 million extension. Later in the year, he could sign for more years or next summer he will become an unrestricted free agent. The expectation it seems to be is that he's going to sign this extension. And he only opted in to this trade because there was a wink and a handshake or a digital handshake surrounding this extension. Um, I don't want them to do the extension. I, I, I guess my thinking is having a cost controlled 30 plus million dollar player on the books makes it easier to, trade laterally for something similar and in the new double apron landscape, you know, like having that movable salary is really important rather than like stitching together salaries. But I don't know. Maybe I should have brought this up earlier. I just, I really hope the Jays were CC'd on this deal. Like if I'm Jalen Brown, they They had to be. be. Yes, they had to be. I really sincerely hope so. But that sort of shocks me that, Hey, let's bring in this, this guy who doesn't, I'm hoping for the best. And again, he's not a prisoner of who he once was, but he doesn't have a great reputation around the league. I don't know that he has any relationship with Tatum Brown. He has an almost equivalent usage rate as Jalen Brown does. It, it's, it would be weird to me that the Jays signed off on this, but I suspect you're right, Justin. It would be malpractice if they didn't at least get a phone call or something. Um, so anyways, I, I, all of that is to say that the, the move is a little perplexing and I don't really know what happens with an extension other than I suspect for financial reasons, they, they stitch one together. Um, anything I missed on the possibility or lack thereof of Porzingis extension? There's been some murmurs that it, the extension that uh, likely would have had to been put in place uh, in order to make this trade go through is going to be in the range of two years, um, which all things being equal, like, if this ends with a two-year extension for Kristaps Porzingis and re-signing Jalen Brown um, to a, a presumably max contract, it does mean that if this doesn't work, you should be able to shuffle the decks again in a year, um, which I think at the end of the day, like that that, that seems pretty reasonable for Boston, um, where they're going to try this thing out. 
see how it plays out and then kind of reevaluate next year uh, at the beginning of that offseason. Um, it does also put them in the position if they give Porzingis a two-year extension to make a seismic mega trade at the beginning of next year if that is what is needed. Uh, the Celtics would be, I think, presumably jumping to the front of that pack. Now, it remains to be seen who would even be available for such a seismic mega trade to work. But um, I can kind of see the logic of offering Porzingis a kind of wink-wink two-year extension that is somewhat flexible and aligned with Jalen Brown's contracts and Jason Tatum's contracts. Yeah, I'm really actually hoping for this for the very same reasons that I discussed with with Brogdon in that even if my worst fears are realized and the injury situation becomes manifest and he's essentially dead money, uh, at the next trade deadline, not the upcoming one, but the one after that, as you were alluding to, he's going to be an expiring contract for all intents and purposes. Porzingis? Yeah. If they sign him to this two-year extension that's been rumored. Well, not really an ex- expiring, a, a expiring plus. But functional, a functional one, because at that point in time, you've already made your decision about where your team is going, most likely. And there's only going to be a few of these contracts, I think, that are going to be coming up for teams to take advantage of, of that size each season. Yeah, I want to see this new TV deal. I'm so curious about, I know that they've said they're going to smooth the cap, but uh, again, if... If they wait, like if I'm Porzingis, I want the years. Why would I want a two-year deal? I like bet on myself. I got bad legs. I want four years. Um, Conversely, though, if he if they if they win a title this season, his value is not going to be any higher. I mean, he might not. He might want to keep that value uh, in people's minds when his contract ends, rather than have four years down the road more opportunities for injuries, more opportunities for not things going as well. So being closer to you know, this season or next season, winning a title or getting back to the finals at least, that will help his value, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I think a, a four-year, $110 million contract feels a lot better than 277 for someone whose knees don't always work. But for whatever. I mean, he he had to opt into the final year of his... I mean, oh, oh, oh boo-hoo, he had to opt into $36 million paycheck. Um, but he had to, you know, choose this. So yeah, certainly he knows... What are you signing up for? Man, I, I can't believe we we're talking about Chris Epsporzing is playing for the Celtics. That's so bizarre. Um, he's so big. I can't believe Luke Cornett's going to be the second tallest member of the Celtics. <laughs> so wild. Okay. So July uh, 30th, I mean, June 30th now is the opening of free agency, which means it's Friday. Um, so we'll, we can close with this. Any just kind of around the league offseason rumbles or Celtics off-season rumbles that have you interested or curious or uh, excited? Too unpredictable, man. I, I, I think there's going to be some very surprising trades. I think there's already been several surprising trades. And I do think that Boston is going to be involved in one. I just don't think it's going to be as exciting as we want it to be. So temper your expectations. Yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Damian Lillard, uh, Jason Tatum, Kristaps Porzingis or that is to come. Uh, I assume that news will be dropping any day now. No, um, I, it, yeah, it's it's as JQ said. Like Brad Stevens does not drop moves like until they are happening. Um, that's that's not his style. That's never been his style. 
I'm sure that if the Celtics do make a trade, it will be for someone completely out of left field that we weren't thinking about at any point. And it will be somebody who, in theory, perfectly addresses all of their needs because that's just what Brad Stevens does. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there there's some guys, you know, like it would be fun to have Markel Fultz on this team. I think he would do a lot of cool things, but I also think that trade's unlikely. Um, you know, Cole like, Anthony, though, they are shopping him from what I hear, and he would not be... as much of a Cole Anthony guy, but fair enough. No, but I mean, that's that's probably we I, I think your your point about Fultz would be a very good fit, but he just makes too much money. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, Ricky Bobby finished his lunch and he's just making noise to try to get my attention. And he's still not being as much of a diva as Dame Lillard. For mm. God's sakes, dude, just request the trade. Shut the fuck up. Uh, you can yeah. edit that out, Justin, if you need to. I'm so sick of that. I love NBA drama and storylines, but like, don't piss. It's not my even pocket. that he's wrong in doing it. It's just like, just do it or not. Yeah, don't piss in my pocket and tell me it's raining. You want out? Just say it. Come on, dude. Um, otherwise, I'm so excited to see Wembenyama. I know that he's going to play like a moment of summer league, but what a what a great like new era in NBA greatness. This kid's got it. I'm so pumped. Also, whatever is going to happen with Zion, that's fascinating to, to me as well. I don't know. Um, okay, Ricky, I got you. Jeez. Okay, my dog is freaking out, so we're calling it. That's it. That's all the free agency preview you're going to get because Ricky Bobby's bored. Um, anything else you guys need to say? Well, we do need to say that this episode of the Celtics Lab podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, and better help you deserve to be happy. I have that. Thank you. Um, we also need to say that Alex is playing at Comet Pizza, Comet Ping Pong in D.C. Yes, that Comet Ping Pong. Yep. Um, so if you're in the Beltway, go check out Divine Sweater. Um, that's Friday. And then again, Sinclair, July 8th. That's a Saturday. Boston folks, I know if you're listening, come through. It'll be lit. Yes, it'll, it'll be lit. Um, yeah, the second most important thing to happen at Comet Pizza in American history. Man. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's enough outro from me. Bye, everyone. Like, oh, we have a giveaway coming up. Please be on the lookout for a giveaway. And then also like and subscribe to our podcast. So follow us on Twitter for our fun giveaway with a, with a cool prize, a real cool prize. Okay, adios. Bye.